Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. So hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of HashiCast. It is our pleasure to have Paul Hinzi and Robbie Tang from the Terraform team on the show today. Paul is the director of Terraform at HashiCorp. Uh, previously, he's worked as a developer and infrastructure engineer in payments as well as ad technology. Uh, he later joined HashiCorp as a software engineer and has led early infrastructure platform teams at HashiCorp. He has also contributed to HashiCorp projects uh, and also projects like Homebrew Cask that we all love and use every day. We also have Robbie Tung, Director of Product Management for Terraform. He's held a variety of engineering and product roles at Redgate Software, Heroku, and Cloudability. His last role was leading a team at Blizzard Entertainment making data analytics services. It is a pleasure to have Robbie on the show as well. So, all right, Paul. So we're going to start with Paul and then and then go over to to, to Robbie and talk about all things Terraform and HashiCorp. Uh, so, Paul, that was a very brief introduction, but could you could you please tell a bit more about yourself? Sure thing. Yeah. Um, so I have spent uh, the majority of my career sort of hanging out somewhere in between uh, applications and infrastructure. Um, so I uh, so I kind of cut my teeth at, at Braintree Payments uh, in uh, in payments, and so, uh, at uh, that was sort of a. Um, you know, credit card processing application. So pretty high stakes application. Um, ended up sort of backing my way into the infrastructure team uh, and then eventually being in charge of the infrastructure team uh, kind of before I knew it. So it kind of felt like one day I woke up in charge of production infrastructure at a payments company. Uh, and so uh, that was pretty uh, eye-opening, Lot learned a ton um, and uh, uh Spent, spent a decent amount of time after that in um, education technology uh, at a company called Instructure. Um, they're high-scale AWS. Um, so that was sort of like where payments was metal. Uh, Instructure was um, you know top 150 AWS customer. Pretty cool to get that level of scale and access to uh, cloud technology. Um, and then uh, found my way to HashiCorp, um, where I've been for about four and a half years. Um, so I've been here since the early days. Uh, kind of hanging around Terraform, hanging around our own in infrastructure a little bit, um, and generally seeing what I can do to help out. So I, I definitely remember like the first time I saw uh, saw Paul's like online presence. That was probably on the on one of the Terraform mailing lists. I think uh, you had answered a question that someone's asked, and and then I remember like GitHub issues like multiple times. You probably helped me out by. Uh, answering my question. This is prior to me like joining HashiCorp. So thank you for all your early day kind of work on on Terraform. So be so before we kind of get into all the kind of the HashiCorp and Terraform things, uh, I I want to kind of explore, and we usually like to do this at the show, explore some of the beginnings in, in technology for you. So do you remember the the first time you ever used a computer? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm I'm lucky enough to have been in a position to have access to computers really young, um, and so the um, 
the my parents will actually tell you that like um even like when i was two or three years old like really really young i got fascinated by nintendo uh the nintendo entertainment system and like they were like you were way too young to to, to even care about this and yet you we we waited until you were three years old to buy a, a, a like an nes for the family and we felt like we'd really held out um so i was always fascinated by technology via games early on um, my parents had computers uh, they're both college professors so they had computers for WordPress processing. Um, and as they would sort of upgrade their computers, the, the old computers would come to me and I would bang on them. I would pull them apart. I would create a Frankenstein monster of like, that's more powerful than both of them combined. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's been, it's been in me since a very young age and I've been lucky enough to have access to technology. Uh, and it's kind of carried me, carried me through into my career. So why make the, why make the kind of the switch? Like I, as you said, mentioned early days from you switch from like being a software engineer to just suddenly being a production operations engineer, uh, maintaining like uh, payment systems, production environments. And the, uh, why like the, that switch and, you know, was there a kind of a driving factor of like why, something like motivated you to kind of push into the, the infrastructure space? Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure, honestly. Like, I think that uh, there's something, there was just something that appealed to me. It's like a combination of, uh, like work that needed to be done, um, and things that like were sort of undergirding all of the other sort of like functions of the application that was really appealing to me to sort of like dive deep down and sort of be behind the scenes, sort of working for, uh, working to enable everybody else. That was, that was appealing to me. And like the high stakes nature of it was also appealing, which is like, you really have to like be on point, uh, with like, you know, being able to debug quickly, being able to sort of be rigorous in the way that you're, you know, uh, rolling out changes. Um, and so it was, it, it was, I think both of those things that really drew me to infrastructure. So that, that's interesting. Cause I feel like that probably helped with like kind of the natural transition into a company like HashiCorp that focuses on, on infrastructure and home, you know, in many cases, like I, I know like a lot of employees that, that we haven't here at HashiCorp have used the products at the kind of the previous companies and, and, and grown to kind of admire some of the, some of the problems that they solve. And then it, it is very much a natural extension uh, to, to them moving in, uh, into the company. So what were the kind of the early days like at HashiCorp when you joined and, and kind of to give us a glimpse of like, what was that like? Yeah. Um, it was, um, it, yeah, it was a dream come true for me. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right that the, the tools that HashiCorp makes just uh, like are exactly in the, what I found to be my sweet spot. And so it's wonderful to basically say, this is my job now. This is everything we do. Uh, and uh, so that was true from the very beginning. Uh, I got sort of a, it was a cold email from Mitchell uh, based on my open source work uh, to say like, come join our company. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm starting this company and uh, coming in as employee number seven uh, and sort of just, you know, hitching myself to the to the ride. Terraform had just zero dot one had just been sort of uh, released, and um, and uh, what I remember about the early days, in addition to like, you know, it just being like totally bootstrapped and you know, kind of like small. And uh, we, I believe, were renting a conference room out from another company, and that was the office. So I had to I had to show up at the office, and they were like, "It's not going to say HashiCorp anywhere. It's going to say something else. What you need to do is go through the front office. Don't look at anyone. Find conference room B or whatever it was. That's where we are." 
Um, so yeah, it was, it was scrappy. Um, but then, so in my first week, we basically got to meet with like Twitch and talk about a deep console problem. And then we walked over to Yelp and Mitchell gave a presentation on Terraform. And it was, it was immediately striking to me how we got access to the hardest problems being solved by these massive companies. And I was like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be really cool. That sounds so cool. So, so I, I, as I remember correctly, so you joined as a software engineer. Mm -hmm. And then you moved over to kind of maintaining kind of the infrastructure and leading the infrastructure team that built, I think that was the first uh, SaaS product that we offered, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So started working on Terraform. Um, I led the Terraform team when it was it was small. And then I slid over to sort of like, you know, once again, even at HashCorp slid over towards the infrastructure. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so I did that for a little while um, and then uh, have had this uh, sort of director of Terraform position since we've gotten, you know, a bunch of Terraform engineering teams now trying to help them stay coordinated. And I've been doing that for a little over a year now. I think your talk, I still remember your talk from HashiConf. I was in the audience uh, uh, watched a talk on on who terraforms terraform, and I think that was that was kind of one of the more interesting talks. I I, I remember it was a packed room. A lot of people had amazing reactions to that talk. Uh, I think that's another interesting thing. So could you talk about like how we use our products internally? Uh, you know, even in the early days, like what was kind of the the workflow like, and did that actually help with giving feedback to to the product teams about the products and features? I know we have an insane amount of inflow from the open source practitioners that you know tweet at us or, or, or you know comment at a at a GitHub issue or so on for feedback. But I think that would be more interesting, more like kind of a very close loop that you can net with with using the products ourselves. Yeah, we have an absolutely like. Uh, I think unique opportunity to dog food our own products in a very intensive way to run our own infrastructure. Um, and you're right that like that feedback loop is incredibly valuable to say here is somebody who's sitting sitting down you know next to you quote unquote we're all remote but somebody who you spend uh, day day in and day out with who's using the software every day that's a really valuable source of information. Uh, the theme of that talk was 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 actually like the idea that. Um, we're, we're also not all that special um, and that we're just a startup stitching together, you know, a Rails app and some Go services and a Postgres database. Um, and to say that we're facing the same problems that you are in, you know, in terms of managing complexity. Um, and what's, in, what's especially interesting about our own experience is we started with very early versions of our own projects. And, you know, for instance, Vault was born in for us trying to, to, to solve our own problems. And so we started with, you know, 0.1, 0.2 versions of these products. Um, and, you know, there's sort of this long tail of maturity that, you know, we have had to work through of, of upgrading things and stuff like that. Um, and so it's, it's this extra dimension of complexity for us having been like, we're, you know, our own early adopters. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's weird. It's interesting. And it's a really good way to get feedback on the products. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. Cause I think that kind of relates to people that are in the audience and, and people that are watching the company. A lot of people follow, so kind of the some of the engineering principles that we have and, and the DAO of HashiCorp. So I think it helps relate to people that, you know, we're yet another software company uh, trying to get by every day and, and you know, avoid outages and, and, and so on. And, and we also have legacy workloads and we also have newer workloads and we are still trying to bridge them together. Yeah, it's great to have these like, and it's very important to have these very, these lofty principles and then things like the DAO in, in terms of keeping ourselves aligned. Um, but knowing that, you know, we're pragmatists. We're you know dealing with the messy reality of software. We're just trying to to stitch things together. Um, and it's not we're not a we're not a church of perfect software. Um, we're just uh, we're just another software company, uh, a tooling company, trying to make things easier for people. 
So, okay, all right. So let's talk about software and let's particularly talk about uh, a tool called Terraform, right? And it's one of the one of the tools that I think has grown in popularity in the in the past two and a half years. Like it's just, you know, it's talked about a lot in the in the space and us as being you know, developer advocates are going to uh, certain, you know, certain conferences and, and public engagements. We always see folks, you know, asking us like peculiar questions about Terraform, like how do I do this one thing? Uh, you know, why don't you just add this feature and so on? And I think it's it is kind of polarizing in in a way because like it is so public and you know anything any small changes you make it it, it definitely affects a lot of people now. So last year at Hashicomp, I remember like you got on stage and you, you talked about a lot of Terraform things. And one of the big themes that you you kind of announced and and and, and covered was a Terraform collaboration for everyone, right? You 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 kind of talk us through you know what that really means, like in terms of like kind of the decision making when it comes to adding collaboration features that allow practitioners and and small smaller group of kind of people why why kind of introduce that collaboration features um, uh, in in a way that actually enables a lot of open source folks and and I, I feel like a lot of people usually struggle with uh, using technology because maybe they don't have access to it or maybe the companies do not have those lofty like huge budgets that they can, can just buy some product off yeah so we're, we were uh kind of sitting with this, you know, this successful open source project uh, and the successful enterprise software, the successful commercial enterprise product. Um, and the thing about Terraform is the uh, the infrastructure as code workflow that it unlocks and facilitates for you is ultimately a practice. It is a workflow that Terraform facilitates. So it's a set of practices that you do around Terraform, that a team does around Terraform. For instance, checking configuration into VCS, doing a code review on your configuration. Um, and the tool itself, the Terraform CLI, the open source tool, doesn't do much to facilitate that. It's just the core engine that interacts with the configuration to actually provision infrastructure. Um, and the actual facilitation of the collaborative workflow was something that Terraform Enterprise did. It helps you out. It integrates with your VCS system. It will hop into pull requests and run speculative plans to say, here's what's going to change in your infrastructure. It really sort of connects the dots of using infrastructure as code day to day. Uh, and so what we were watching is that open source community trying to connect those same dots for themselves um, in, in a lot of cool ways, a lot of cool projects doing stuff uh, to support these workflows in you know, various VCS systems, various CI systems. And we were looking, we, we were basically saying, well, we've got what we think is a really excellent version of this, the, the actual workflow that you use uh, that, that you use to collaborate on Terraform configuration sitting here in Terraform Enterprise, but it's at this very high price point. And we, you know, a vast majority of the, you know, smaller teams don't have access to this tool uh, that we think is, you know, the best way to, to, to facilitate this workflow. Um, what can we do to solve that? What can we do to give, to give more of the, the functionality that we're building here out to the broader community? Um, so that was really the thesis behind, behind the, you know, introducing Terraform Cloud um, and sort of sketching out what this, you know, pretty, um, pretty significant free functionality that we're, 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 you know, we're rolling out over the course of this year. It essentially is those connected dots. It is the fully sort of collaborative uh, VCS integrated workflow of using Terraform on a team. Yeah, I think that'll benefit a lot of people and probably, uh, you know, remove some of that, you know, 
complicated Jenkins-like, you know, things that people are using with with Terraform. I think that probably, you know, save a lot of people a lot of time. So that that's really awesome. So the second thing, which I think we kind of focused on at HashiConf last year was previewing the, the Terraform Ode files changes. And, and, you know, this is kind of the infamous, like big mega release that we finally it's out and, you know, people can use it. And, and I think that's been, that's been a long process. So let's just answer this like question that, you know, we get all the time. Right. We, you know, there's jokes on the Internet about this. But either way, let's let's just answer it head on. Right. Why did it take HashiCorp so long to release Terraform O12? Uh, I, I know you've answered this question multiple times, but let's let's just answer it again. You know, it's basically we forgot to release it um, for about a year and we, we, we were just not not working on it or anything. Uh, <laughs> we, we're just sitting on our hands. We, we've actually had it for a year and we've been holding it back just to generate hype. No, no, none of those things are true. Really, I, I mean, the answer of why was 012, why did 012 take so long now that it's out the door is really one that we're trying to answer incredibly deeply now, right? We've So we've entered into a retrospective process uh, that is only honestly just getting started. When you have a release that goes this long, that goes for multiple, like over a year of time, uh, that you know, nobody wants it to take that long. And really trying to understand like all of the various socio-technical reasons that contributed to the fact that this t- took so long is absolutely our project and improving and, and taking some lessons learned. That's the mission right now. Um, if you want to hear sort of like the the, the basic understanding of what happened uh, is the, the, the improvements we were trying to make were incredibly deep. They were deep improvements to the language. Um, you were taking a a system that was essentially like quote unquote stringly typed. Uh, it was a very like you know uh, loose type system um, and introducing a stronger specced language. Um, that's a huge task, and it's really one that's difficult to um, to split up. And it has all of these implications to uh, the functionality where the way that the strings were behaving, the way that things were being interpreted, uh, turns out to be incredibly significant, even though you didn't realize it was working that way. Um, so that's really the core technical reason that we kept finding these new areas where you know the things just happened to work in a certain way. And once we spec'd it more strictly, uh, we realized, oh, they were working inconsistently and we're shooting for backwards compatibility. So do we map back the inconsistencies into this newly strict and newly spec'd uh, world? That's what really took up the bulk of the time. Um, there's a uh, internal sort of like uh, like saying, uh, somebody found a t-shirt that, that basically has this like, alien worlds with all of these weird plants and these weird animals. And the, the, the caption reads with undefined behavior, anything is possible. Um, and that is essentially the theme of zero 12. Uh, we had, a, we were going from undefined behavior to defined behavior. Now I just want to see some, some t-shirts made and some, uh, some tweets and memes come out uh, that basically showcases this quotation and theme. So you talked about some of the language features, right? Like some of the language enhancements that O12 has. So what are the other kind of, features that you feel are prominent in, in O12? Gosh, I mean, like the list is so long um, and it's like the, the the strength of the language comes out in a bunch of different ways. Um, if I were to pick things that really like have solved problems that I've felt friction with, just in writing configuration in my experience, um, the ability to take uh, objects and pass them around as both output parameters and input parameters for modules is pretty huge. Um, what you'd have to do in the past is sort of like stitch out like uh, all of the attributes of a, like say a, a VPC or you know a GCP instance that you might want to use the private IP, the instance ID. Um, now you can actually just take the whole resource and say pass it out as an output, you use what you want to. 
drastically simplifies configuration. Um, the real star, I think, is the error messages, though. The error messages are the expression of the sort of mature language that is now in place. Um, they, um, it's, it's, it's really kind of transformative once you understand that these error messages are telling you what is wrong and what to do to fix it. Um, I realized in myself, in, in the more I use 0.12, I actually had instincts uh, from writing config that I needed to update. My usual, like I would usually scan the error message and hop right to the config, trying to discover where the where the issue was. Um, and I noticed that, oh wait, I have to, now I actually have to, if I read this error message, it tells, I can read it. It just tells me what to do. You can really follow the error messages to solve your problems in a way that changes the game, honestly. Yeah, I've, I've definitely used that. I think I feel like, I got the early preview of Terraform and I, I was, that was one of my most exciting features. I think you also highlighted that in your keynote doc, as far as I remember at HashiConf and got the biggest laugh from the, from the audience. I feel like one of the, one of the critical features I feel, especially in infrastructure products is, is the, the ability to actually debug. So the last question on this trend of like O12, what were the kind of the biggest learnings that I feel like we probably learned a lot going through this release? So what were the biggest ones that you feel you want to share with us? Uh, yeah, I think honestly, the biggest, the biggest learning that has come through so far from my perspective is when you have a really, really big project like this, that has a really, really sort of like Gordian knot of implementation tasks, um, what happens as it goes longer and longer, and it's more and more difficult to predict is you get a culture of inevitability around the project. And I think towards the end, I think we needed to snap ourselves out of that that mentality of like, there's nothing we can do. It's just like, it's an endless tunnel that has an end somewhere. It feels like an endless tunnel. It has an end somewhere, but we can't do anything about predicting what it is. Um, and I think that sense of helplessness, it, it, it caused us to miss some levers we had to pull. It took, it took uh, the um, sort of just the, you know, increasing pressure from the community saying, hey, like, where is this release? The increasing sort of like understanding that this is getting later and later for us to say like, hang on, hang on, hang on. There might be actually some things we can tweak here. There might be more help we can bring for the team. Um, that was, that was, I think, one of the bigger learnings uh, is just, you know, when you start to feel that inevitability of a project, uh, you know, don't lose hope. There are ways that you can tweak things. There are, you know, there is more help you can bring to bear. That's awesome. Speaking of the community, as someone who used Terraform quite a bit, I used count in really interesting ways to achieve iteration. What inspired the introduction of for loops as part of Terraform 0.12? Why not stay with count forever? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's It's been a long time coming. Um, I think... Uh, the interesting thing that I think we're we're not we're not super pedantic about the way we talk about the the for like we 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 call them for loops, but um, the like the concept of a loop is a like the iterative expression of what is still a declarative language, right? What like sort of the for keyword and for each keywords do is uh, like if you were to be technical about it, it, would be something closer to list expansion or list comprehension. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is you have a collection of variables and you want to expand them out into a collection of resources or a collection of sort of tags, for instance, on a, uh, on a resource. And so what, uh, 
we were able to do with the functionality as it stands is essentially stay in the declarative uh, uh, paradigm while giving some of the more familiar tools to the to configuration authors in order to write configuration. Um, so you're absolutely right. There are a ton of count hacks that we can now unwind with these more powerful tools. Um, but I think it is uh, super important that we are still, uh, th it's still a declarative language because that is part of what where Terraform gets its power. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of those counts that I still have to unwind a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well, Robbie, so what's it like being a director of product management at HashiCorp? Yeah. Uh, it's very good when you ask all the 0.12 questions to the director of engineering. So that that part of being a director of product management is great. Um, yeah, being a director of product management at Terraform is definitely definitely different. Uh, working this close to, uh, I guess, some of the large communities and large customers that we have is not unusual for me, but it's, uh, it's different, I think, because it's Terraform and people... Have very strong opinions about Terraform and very, um, very critical uses of it. Uh, you're not really, you're not really just a DevOps tool. You're not just like a a build tool uh, for them in a, in essence, or doing something uh, with the build pipeline. You're kind of like a compute provisioning platform for entire companies. And so, holding the keys to that and dealing with uh, customers and the requests for the product around that is definitely a lot more intimidating in some ways. <laughs> How exactly did you arrive at product management? Um, it's a little bit different than you know, being in engineering. I was an engineer, I think, for more of my, more of my career than a product manager. Um, engineering is definitely a lot more, uh, I was going to say a lot more fun. That sounds terrible. Engineering is definitely, it's definitely a lot uh, nicer uh, in that you get closure day to day with uh, the things that you do. Um, but with product management, you don't really ever get that closure. The product is never done. Nothing is ever great. Um, everything is always either on fire or it could be better. Uh, I think I got into it just because there's only so much uh, of the world that I guess you can see when you're in engineering. You're only focused on the problem at hand. And with product management, you have to consider the larger picture. And uh, there's something kind of frightening about that, but also, I guess, a little bit alluring. <laughs> so that's probably why I ended up doing it. <laughs> that's cool. And I imagine it's really challenging at HashiCorp because most of the products have open source SaaS or enterprise components to it. So what's the most challenging part of managing products that are both open source and SaaS and enterprise? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, it's tempting to say like the, the divide between what goes into open source and enterprise, but I think HashiCorp's actually traditionally done that really well before I arrived. I don't think that's actually that much of a struggle for uh, the company because people like Paul are still around and there are kind of avatars as to what that divide should be. I think the actual hard part is uh, the fact that our customers span both. So you will frequently get customers who exist on the enterprise side, but still interact quite heavily on the open source side. And mapping that kind of uh, request across both kinds of relationships, you know, enterprise software quite traditionally has uh, very support-based uh, relationships that are contractual and open source is kind of like, well, if you want to complain about it, maybe you should fix it. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's a little bit of a different kind of a boundary that you have to cross, but with the same customer oftentimes. So I think as Terraform being successful as it is, uh, has invited more of these customers on both sides. Uh, we've had to deal with a lot of customers who exist on both sides, like who map across like the open source projects and also the enterprise projects. And I think when we, need, we open Terraform Cloud to more 
people as well, that's going to be even more interesting for us. So yeah, a lot to learn there. So what's the most interesting thing you've learned from a user, whether they kind of use the open source and they are an enterprise or they're an enterprise customer? One, one thing that's really interesting is how um, attached to some specific versions of Terraform some customers are. Like uh, they found the feature that they want or they found the functionality they want in like 0.8 or 0.9 and that's it for them as far as they're concerned. Terraform doesn't need to ever do anything else. That's their world and so they're going to stay there. And so uh, learning about how those customers like use Terraform and uh, how they are approaching the problems that they have in their world is pretty interesting. But I think the most interesting thing is probably just around the way uh, usage comes through for us. Uh, provisioning isn't something that every company does the same. Some companies are very, very agile with it. They, they're deploying multiple times a day. They're changing infrastructure constantly uh, in a very kind of dynamic way. And some companies are really not that. Some companies are incredibly static and they provision one set of infrastructure once every few weeks. But the value that both companies get out of the product is the same. And so I guess the most interesting thing I've learned from our customers is just what they do to provision like, and why it's so important to them. A customer once told me that uh, they were only doing, I think, one, they were only doing one Terraform plan and apply every like three weeks. And I was like, how is this valuable to you? And they were like, you have no idea how valuable it is. Before we got Terraform, it took us two weeks of a ticketing workflow to the IT team to provision this infrastructure. And so Terraform is paying for itself really because I don't have to wait two weeks for this. And it's like, you don't really, it's hard to really underestimate how valuable that is to the customer, but also how weird it is just, I guess, on our side of the fence as well, uh, where we provision a lot. Yeah, I say that we get a t-shirt that says, you never know what users will do. <laughs> Besides some of the users that you see applying this to their enterprise, I imagine you get a lot of feedback from enterprise user bases and open source user bases. So how do you filter out and prioritize features based on so much feedback that you must be getting? If you look at our GitHub issues, I think the answer is we don't. <laughs> but it's, uh, the, yeah, that's a, that is a good question because I think the AWS provider, uh, one of our more popular providers, has almost uh, five to seven times the number of issues that Terraform has itself, uh, which gives you... I get it kind of leads into the 0.12 question, right? We're not just making this thing in isolation. I don't know if you've tried to use Terraform without a provider. It's not a super fun experience. Um, there's not much you can do apart from write really cool for loops now. Uh, you, you mostly have to use a provider and uh, there's a whole range of providers out there in the ecosystem now, over 200, I think. And the requests that we get at different levels for different uh, people using different parts of the open source, it, it's kind of just an enormous volume that we could never uh, get through. So prioritizing that is really challenging and figuring out what the most important thing to do for our customers, like figuring out the trends is only one part of it. Also having a strong opinion about what we believe Terraform is and what we think is going to be uh, the best is important to bring into that because uh, we're lucky to obviously still have the creators of Terraform here. Uh, but having that uh, link is quite important to allow you to find uh, what you think the direction of the product should be because it can't just be from uh, the issues alone, like we would never, the prioritization and the, the roadmap would look insane if we just took it from that. What do you think of Terraform Cloud and the users that it might help? We chatted a little bit about that before with Paul, but what do you think about it? I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, we have uh, state storage uh, 
publicly accessible right now for Terraform Cloud, like solving one of the key problems that most users have immediately after using Terraform for the first time, which is what do I do with this state file now? Um, and so we took that away, which has been really nice and has been really good to get feedback on. I think Terraform Cloud as a whole is just going to be making that link, like uh, Paul was saying, uh, for collaboration for teams. Uh, when you start to provision, the usually the next thing you are asking is, uh, if you're just not on your own, is like, you know, how, how am I going to work with other people? How am I going to work with the rest of my team on this? And there are a lot of ways to do that, like Paul was saying, but I think Terraform Cloud is a pretty opinionated way, uh, a pretty focused way about how to collaborate, which is as close to uh, collaborating on code as we uh, could possibly get to. And I think just that workflow alone is going to be really, really interesting for a lot of people who've uh, been using Terraform in a variety of ways up to now. Cool. Do you think that the uh, enterprise customer that was using plan and apply every three weeks, do you think this would benefit them? God, I hope they don't find out about it. <laughs> no, I, I think yeah, I think I think it would. I think enterprise customers, um, it, it's the kind of thing that definitely appeals to them. I mean, it's that that's where we've learned all of these lessons. We took it from the enterprise product and brought it into cloud. But obviously, I think enterprise customers have a set of demands which you know exceed even that. Like some of them can't use a SaaS for a variety of regulatory reasons. So you know that's why an on-premise product exists. But I think yeah, for a lot of um, for a lot of companies that are a lot, uh, I guess, a little bit more open to using SaaS tools in their environments, it is going to be quite interesting to see whether they this is enough for them, whether this is like the full offering and they don't really need any more. Maybe maybe we'll be back here talking about Terraform Cloud two at some point, or like some kind of bridge between enterprise because we need to figure that part out. But I think yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing if that's a problem. That'd be a great problem to have. That would be a really interesting problem to hear about. So you mentioned that today we can use remote state storage, correct? Yep. There's a whole bunch of features that we'll be bringing out over the course of the year, which I can't remember if I meant to talk about. Um, but They're all rumors. They start from someplace. I also heard another rumor that Terraform providers might be going into the public registry. Today, I know they're all in one GitHub organization, so to speak. But is, uh, is this rumor founded? <laughs> Is definitely founded. I think that one. I, that one I can definitely talk about. Um, the yeah, providers going into the public registry is uh, is going to be important for a couple of reasons. One, just because it's a good place to serve them from, uh, versus like this one enormous repo. And two, um, it will give uh, people a place to discover the provider ecosystem, like all the providers that Terraform has now. Uh, like it'll give them a place to discover it that isn't uh, a terrible documentation page on our website. Um, it's a much nicer way to look at the providers, to see the modules that those providers support, and just to see the kind of functionality um, that you're going to be getting with the provider, as well as figuring out you know who is the maintainer uh, and how am I going to be able to like get support for this. It's yeah, it's a much much better experience for everyone. Yeah. And I think the really exciting thing about the, uh, the, the, the project is in addition to getting a better sort of home for all of the providers that we currently have, uh, it really democratizes the ability to produce a provider. Right now, if you want to produce a provider that's available in Terraform init, you need to work through us, um, which is, you know, it works out great for the providers that we have today, but it's something that we don't want to be the bottleneck for, to, for people to be able to get Terraform applied to their environments, their APIs, their systems. And so today you can do that. You can just spin up a GitHub repo, follow our docs and write a provider, but it's a little bit hard to get that provider distributed to the user 
servers, uh, they have to download a binary and put it in a specific place. So what's really exciting about getting the registry as the hub for every provider is it allows other users to just directly upload community providers and get their, you know, get their users able to use those providers from Terraform itself uh, in a straightforward workflow that everybody understands. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Do you think that, I think there's a pizza provider out there, right? There was, yeah, there was a Domino's provider, wasn't there? I think it, it was functional, I think, and everything. Oh. Do you think that will be on there too? 100%. Yeah, it's, it'll probably be the most the most popular one, I'm imagining. I, I, I mean, we I think we've tried to acquire that company. I don't know who it is, but I mean, obviously it is the future of Terraform. So uh, provisioning food in real time. Speaking of food and Terraform and specifically pizza, well, we have one last question for you. It's a slightly less serious question, but if you were a pizza topping, which one would you be and why? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is gonna be, these answers are gonna be horrible because Paul is from Chicago, a well-known pizza town. I'm from Glasgow, Scotland, which is not really known for its pizza. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Oh man. Uh, so I am a, a big fan of the the non-standard pizza. Um, so I do love a Chicago style pizza where you know the topping would be sort of you know, one inch worth of cheese. Um, that would definitely uh, uh, be one of my choices. Um, but what's coming to mind right now is mayo because uh, one of my favorite kinds of pizza is this BLT pizza. Uh, which is like totally off the wall. It's got like lettuce and a little bit of bits of bacon and to, uh, you know raw tomatoes. Oh my God, it's so good. And it's got mayo on it, which feels weird, but it tastes so good. Um, so yeah, unexpected, weird, uh, but surprisingly tasty. Uh, so I'll be mayo. What's wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the, the reaction I'm going for. All right. That was an interesting start. Okay, Robbie. Uh, <laughs> I don't... I, you know, I thought my answer was going to be bad. The first pizza I had in, again, in Scotland, uh, Tesco, uh, amazing supermarket in the Scotland uh, world, sold uh, what they called dessert pizzas. They were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle dessert pizzas. And this one that you could get was uh, just a pizza with chocolate buttons and marshmallows. Um, and so it was just chocolate and marshmallows on top of a pizza, which to this day, I will say is probably the best pizza topping you can have. It's disgusting. <laughs> to hell, to, it tastes terrible. But you will feel, you will feel, uh, you won't feel good about yourself. But you'll feel something after you've eaten it. Uh, Andrea, what what about you, Rosemary? I am pretty much a mushroom because uh, I'm a fun kind of gal. No, not really. But uh, that doesn't work. It's unfortunately not punny enough to work. But. Probably mushrooms, mostly because you can still cook a mushroom and it won't overcook or really undercook for that matter. So I'm pretty resilient. Yeah, that's good. That's a much better answer. Let me throw let me throw another uh, topping on the top of that. So for me, I think I'm very very like I usually debate whether the you know pizza is a good idea for me or not. Like, should I have the whole like medium size or large size pizza by myself? Uh, you know, that becomes a whole like three meals for me. That's perfect. That's a, the kind of day I'm going for. So I, I, you know, as you can see, like I usually struggle with that choice. So I, I try to like put everything healthy on top of a pizza, like which I think it's healthy, uh, but you know, it might not be. But uh, for me, it's like very simple, like spinach. It just gives some color to the pizza and it makes me feel like, oh, I'm not committing a crime when I go through this large. Uh... <laughs> 
and I can eat more of it. Now, now, I, now I have an excuse to eat all of this pizza. I like it. I thought you were going to say Soylent or something like that. I thought when you were going for the three meals, I thought I just put, I just pour Soylent directly onto the pizza. So together we have made together we have made the worst pizza known to humanity. It's mayo, chocolate marshmallows, mushrooms, and spinach. And that's why Terraform zero point twelve was so late. <laughs> the truth comes out. And on that note, Paul and Robbie, thank you so much for being here today on Hashicasts. We appreciate you taking the time out and speaking to us about Terraform. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been fun. You have been listening to HashiCasts with your hosts, Rosemary and Mishra. Today's guests were Paul Hinsey and Robbie Tung from HashiCorp. Be sure to tune in next time.